0: Hey, say something, you guys. Something, something you guys. guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way this show is gonna go. Yeah, I want you to do your little intro.
1: No, Wait, we're we're not doing any. We're not even saying hi or anything. Uh, we just I do it. Let's do it on the oh, show, okay. you guys. You guys are <laughs> killing. Me. All right, that's cool.
2: Welcome to episode 246 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today I'm very pleased to announce that we have the most excellent Rob Walling with us on today's show, and um, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about, but I'm really looking forward to talking with him.
0: <laughs> Gentlemen, hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have you
1: back.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like we talk over each other right out of the gate. That's yeah.
1: It's, it's <laughs> definitely good to be back on the show, man. I think this is my, might be my fifth time or something. It's always it's always fun.
0: Yeah, you're setting the, setting the record. So what's new? What what's? I mean, I I I guess uh, since we haven't heard six months, quite a bit probably. Yeah.
1: To what do
2: we owe the pleasure?
1: Well, um, I just launched Drip, launched my newest app, and you know it's kind of been in the works for about a year now, and I've I really put my head down when I work on this stuff, so I haven't been doing many podcast interviews or anything like that. Um, but earlier this month, uh, it was the first week of November. We finally went fully public with it, and so I just feel like I can come out from under that and go and do the fun stuff, which is coming on texting.
0: So wait a minute, I thought you actually launched three or four months ago, or was that just sort of like a beta, limited launch? Thing?
1: Yeah, early access. Yep, it was basically I did what I call a what I'm calling a slow launch, where I had this email list. And it was about, I think it was maybe 2,500 when, when I started the launch and then it grew over, over the course of this slow launch. Uh, But I was basically letting in between three and 600 people at a time. Um, And I I should clarify that. I was sending between three and 600 emails to the list at a time. So, you know, obviously everyone doesn't come and sign up, but the reason we were doing it is I wanted to just test a lot of things, test, could we, can we scale um, how is our onboarding? Are we going to retain people? Because you know, early on, it didn't have Drip didn't have many features, and so the, that first group came in and said, "Oh, you don't do much. We need all these features in order to stick around." And so, before I, I you know, emailed another two thousand people, we really wanted to build a bunch of stuff, and we need to figure out what what it was people wanted to build.
0: Okay, you know, I just realized we should probably do like a little, um, I don't know, background on, sure. on Drip. Do you want to give like a you know, a little quick description of what Drip is, and then maybe how the idea came to you. And I don't know, just give a little history.
1: Sure, sure. Do you want to give background on me, or do you think listeners know enough? If you don't know who Rob Walling is, you should just stop listening now. No, <laughs> <you>. <laughs> just, well, so <laughs> I, the, the five t- five or ten second version. I uh, go listen to startups for the rest of us. That's probably the best way to get acquainted. But I'm a, I'm a software developer by trade, entrepreneur for the last several years, and I have a bunch of of SaaS apps. And uh, I, th- I throw microconf as
2: well. Um, GetDrip.com.
0: Well, Justin, it's not
1: GetDrip.com.
0: He's the founder of Drip. It just happens that the domain is GetDrip.com,
2: right? Okay, okay, fair
0: I enough. Do
1: <laughs> have a, I do have a branding <laughs> issue there for sure. People will ask me, hey, how's GetDrip going? And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I need to get drip, Drip.org or Drip.com or something. It's a, I mean,
0: has it really happened much?
1: Yeah, a lot of people are calling it GetDrip. I know. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty interesting. But I, I so I emailed the guy who owns drip.com and he said that he's had six figure offers that he's turned down for that domain. And I wrote him back, I said that was not a very good decision. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, that's that's a ridiculous number. It's just a park domain. Right. Well, I think also
0: that over time the dot coms are becoming less and less important. It seems like you know, the dot ios have become useful and are acceptable. The dot ly's, and then people are doing it like the get prefix or the HQ suffix, and just because they're so limited that that that's what companies are are are, are having to do, and then people are just getting used to it, so nobody cares anymore. Right,
1: right. I think you know? the one the one hangup I do have is that if you search since drip is such a short word and it's it's a dictionary word that if you search for it in google and drip is not on the first page for it it's on uh it's like number 12 right now and i think i'll get to the first page but it'll i'll never be number one because i think it's like motley fool or something is really high and they, they have a lot of authority
2: rob um maybe uh we'll just give a little bit of background the last time we spoke to you um we spoke to you about your excellent product hittail.com com and um I think this time we're talking to you about drip in a similar kind of way that we spoke to you about hit It's like your post launch experience or is, are we talking about your launch experience or
1: yeah, whatever. Now let's just, let's talk about it. I think there's a lot to be told. I think there's a good story here and I think it. This, some of the stuff that I did could be useful for folks in your audience who are launching products. Cool, well, so. I
0: want to go back. I, I, uh, Rob, I'd like you to go back from the beginning and, and talk mm-hmm. about how you came up with the idea yeah. and and, and why you wanted to do it. I mean, you, you, you were already doing pretty well with Hit Tail, And, um, yeah, and just kind of take us through a little bit. I mean, we don't have to spend, you know, 30 minutes on it, but at least, you know, give us, you know, four or five minutes so that give anyone has Yeah, because even though, uh, you know, people who, there, first of all, there's a lot of people who probably haven't heard the story. And the people who did, who are familiar with it, it's been so long, they've probably kind of forgotten. So, sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a good question. It's one I get a lot is why didn't I continue growing Hittail, right? Hittail is a SEO keyword tool. And I bought it a couple years ago. Uh, I think it was about two and a half years ago now. And then I grew it, um, like 10x it or 12x it or whatever to, to a pretty good revenue stream. And then I moved on to my next idea, and so the question is, you know, why why would you do that, and why wouldn't I just continue doubling down on HitTail? And there were there were many reasons. Um, one of them is HitTail is a pretty low price point product. It starts at ten bucks a month, and it goes up to twenty bucks. But the average revenue per customer is not high. It's not as high as I want it to be, and I realized that getting customers in, you know, by the dozens and by the hundreds, which is what drip, uh, I'm sorry, HitTail has had to do it's a lot of work for not as much payback. Um, whereas I have friends who I have a friend who has a SaaS app and like his plans are $250, $800 a month and, and up. And his revenue is, has just outpaced me by, by leaps and bounds. And I would say we're comparable in terms of marketing experience. So it, I just, my product isn't as expensive. So the growth was going much, much slower than I wanted uh, and right. an, another thing is with lower price point products, churn tends to be higher. So I churn was just too high for my taste, and I wasn't able to get it down below uh, where I wanted it to be. And um, you know, there was also a lot of crappy code under it, and that was fine <laughs> while I was growing it. But it just—I don't want to do that forever. You know, I don't want to be working on a product that I acquired that has kind of a crappy undertone. It, it's hard to expand, hard to add features and stuff. So, and I'm also well, I'm how- fourth, but.
0: Well, how is it doing now? I mean, it seemed like it it was doing pretty well, or is it still holding up?
1: It is. It's losing a little bit. So Google's recent change, and this is the the last thing, is I noticed um, about a year, a little over a year ago, I was thinking to myself, you know, Hittail is really reliant on Google. It's reliant on all the search engines, but Google, since it's the majority of, of search traffic, if Google changed their policy, it could do quite a bit of damage to Hittail. And so I wanted to diversify and build another app um, and as it turns out, Google what, it was about a month ago that they said hundred percent of our traffic soon is not going to provide keywords anymore to the to the website. So if someone searches right. for a term and goes to your website, you don't know what they searched for anymore. and that is essentially the bread and butter of what hittail uses, right That's my data so right Hitt- I, 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 I rem- yep. well, yeah so, I remember he,
0: I remember reading about that in like a couple or two three months ago, and then I was like, oh crap, that's gonna kill hittail. And yep. I emailed you about it and you' were like, yep. I guess that wasn't a surprise to you. You kind of had a sense that this was coming. Right? I
1: thought it was coming. I mean, you, you, we saw it in the in the SEO tools industry. You saw SEO Moz became Moz. They got away from SEO. Um, Raven Tools, which was an SEO tool, added a bunch of social media analytics, so they they were stepping out of it. Um, you know, uh, Whoosh Traffic, which was an SEO tool, that is now Market Vibe. Like she she kind of Erica pivoted out of that. So I could just see these big players, these funded players, pivoting out of SEO. And seeing Google just become more and more, um, well, wanting to drive revenue is what it is. Because if if you so if you pay for an AdWords click, you get the keyword. If you get an organic click, you don't get the keyword. So I, you know, my hypothesis is that they're trying to drive more more ads, and that's a lot of folks' hypothesis. So what
2: will happen to Hittail?
1: So Hit Tail. Is still able to so in the U.S. Google is 67% of search volume, and so there is another 33% of traffic. It's you know Yahoo and Bing and AOL and Ask and DuckDuckGo and a bunch of these other search engines. And surprisingly, that it's 33%, right? You would think it'd be smaller, but as a result, Hitail still has value. It just has less value than it did than it did two months ago. So that mm. that is so that answers Jason' question of is Hittail still doing what it was in terms of revenue? No, it's not, but it hasn't fallen off a cliff and it's not going to go to zero. It's just going to, I'm either going to have to lower prices or I'm just going to have fewer customers. You know, it's just going to be a smaller revenue
2: uh, app. Hmm. Did you uh, oh, Did okay. you make your investment back?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, It. you know, I paid um, $30,000 for it and um, and then I put in about another twenty. In terms of design, uh, like a redesign and some developer hours and stuff, that does not include my time. That's just mm-hmm. pure cash outlay, and I made that back definitely within the first year. It may have been like I don't remember. It may have been eight or ten months from from when I
2: when I bought it. Okay, great. So you've you've it's been a worthwhile experience, even though it's not the kind of forever project. Absolutely. It's, it's not a loss. It's yep. not a loss. Okay, that's great.
1: right. And it's generated a lot of revenue. I mean, I've, you know, I don't pull much money out of the business. I try to keep that to a minimum. So it has put a lot of money in my war chest that has allowed me to start. I've actually started doing some angel investing, which has been fun. Um, I've also, it's all the funding for drip, right? I mean, I have a full-time developer who's been working on drip for uh, halftime for four months and then full-time for about eight months and and drip, uh, you know, Hittail has funded all of that.
0: Um, yeah. It, you know, it's, oh. It's kind of a good uh, example of bootstrapping because a lot of times uh, people seem to think of bootstrapping as if in a very simplified terms, like, well, I'm just not taking any money. But bootstrapping is also is I think really when you you do something that takes a small return and you funnel that money back into it and then you can do more. And then yeah, the more money you make, the more the more you can do. so you, it's just sort of this reinvestment of returns. And, you know, you, you did a lot of smaller things uh, in the past, a lot of smaller businesses. And then I think Hit Tail turned out to be the biggest uh, up to that point. And then now that's allowed you to do drip, which is the biggest of all,
1: right? That's right. Yep. And, and the thing is, is, I mean, I just talked about spending $30,000 on an app and then dropping another 20. I wouldn't have had, the reason I had that money is because I had .NET Invoice, Apprentice Lineman Jobs, Just Beach Towels, CMS themeer. I had these tiny ideas that generated between 500 and maybe 3,000 a month each. And I packed a bunch of those together, you know, and then I let those build a, a smaller war chest um, and use that then to 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 level up is really, really what it is. And I think, you know, hittail basically was a 10x idea. I wanted it to be 10x bigger than what I did previously, and my hope is that Drip is 10x bigger than Hit Tail.
2: So, so Drip could well be the golden ticket. Well, I mean, you
1: never know. You know, it's <laughs> it's doing well so far. Um, I don't know if it will technically be exactly 10x Hit Tail, but at least order of magnitude, I think it will be in the ballpark. I think it has a potential to be in the ballpark if I if I execute well. So, Drip Drip is an email marketing app at the highest level, but really the goal is to get to allow you to get more leads and thus more customers from your website so there's uh, you know there are an email newsletter apps like if you think of MailChimp or, or Aweber and they allow you to collect emails and then send out newsletters but drip is much more focused on actually converting people and measuring everything and so uh, while drip does give you the front-end capture form um, that you can either you know embed in html or we have a nice little widget that'll Little pop up, um, like a little toaster thing in the lower right of your screen.
2: Is that like those live chat things?
1: Kind of, yeah, like Olark. Like, exactly. That's a yeah, good. Right, yeah. That's a good uh, analogy. So it's like little, like that. It's not a big pop up that you know jumps into the the center of the screen, um, and it it captures you know somewhere between let's say three and and ten percent of your traffic, and it 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 basically. Gets their email address, and then it allows you to really easily create an e- like an email mini course or some type of educational content that helps you engage with them, and then hopefully um, you know has a call to action and and leads them to signing up for your app. So it's it, like I said, it it's designed to get more leads to measure what those leads do. So it can say, so-and-so found you using this keyword through this search engine. Then they signed up, received these three emails. They clicked on this third one. Then they converted to a paying customer because you can set up a goal. And this is how much they are worth to you. You know, this is how much Drip made you this month. And this is how these customers came to you. And um, so we have that whole funnel kind of baked into Drip and, and really high emphasis on on conversions.
2: Yeah, that sounds very cool.
0: Well, what 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 are some of the your the most similar services that people may have tried to use to accomplish this in the past?
1: So we built, we actually built a an ad hoc version of Drip for my other app for hit tail And mm-hmm. so we did cu- a bunch of custom JavaScript with some jQuery, and then we used MailChimp as the backend. And you can create autoresponders in MailChimp. It's just mm-hmm. a little, it's more cumbersome. You don't get the measurement and the tracking. And it's it's not as easy to do, but we did it. And it took about, I think it was about 18 hours of there is code and then writing the emails and then setting it all up. And we try to take that down to a very, like less than an hour with drip. Um, if now is, is drip
0: better than your custom solution for you?
1: Drip is better than our custom solution. Yes, because we can change things on the fly. We can split test things against each other. You know, this was, it was a dumb form before it was just jQuery and then to change something, I had to go in and, and, Do something on the live server, right? Do a new code deploy, basically. So the thing is,
0: too, is that somebody could—I mean, a a programmer, entrepreneur slash programmer—could spend an entire weekend and maybe build something like this for themselves.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: But that's just getting it going. What What is likely to happen is, even if they get it done in a weekend. Then every time they want to change or add a feature or test something, they're going to have to get in and write code, which is going to leak more hours. Right. And it even worse. What is was probably more likely to happen is that they won't go in and make the changes because it's too much of a pain in the ass. Right.
1: Right. That's right. the idea. And I mean, you could potentially there are now cropping up some you know JavaScript widgets and and other tools where you can get the opt-in form, and you could probably cut eight hours off of that, six or eight hours off of our eighteen hours that we spent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, you just don't have the flexibility, the split testing capabilities, the, you know, you're still going to have to tie into MailChimp and use that interface. You're going to have to pay for that eventually as, as you hit a certain volume, you know, when you get 2,000 subscribers, you're going to start paying them 20 or 30 bucks a month. So, yeah, there are ways to hack around it early on, um, I think, long term. And, and, and you wouldn't get all the conversion tracking and that kind of stuff. You, you, it would be really, really hard to do that. You'd have to write a lot of custom code. We didn't have all that when we built the original version, you know, the, the ad hoc version for Hytale.
2: Um I mean, there's also, I've had a look around Drip, and um, there's also a lot of other value add that you're doing there, like, you know, um, some of the content suggestions that you're making. And...
1: Right, that's the other thing where I'm trying, I mean, I'm personally going into some people's account when they ask, and I will give them personal suggestions. I've recorded some screencasts. I went in, you know, uh, Justin's using... Um, drip on Plugio and he said, you know, how can I improve the conversion rate? And I went in and made changes to his with, with permission. And I can't do that for everyone, obviously, but there, there's a value add there too, right? Of like people are asking for like, what are best practices? How can I make this better? And we have enough data now that I'm starting to see what's working and what's not and so i think i think there's some value there the other thing i should mention is we are doing a, a concierge onboarding service for free where if someone has either an ebook or some blog posts or a white paper we will take that slice it up and and build a 5 day mini course for you so which basically
2: means you have to do nothing to to start work like with blogie all i had to do was put the piece of javascript code on my site and send you my white paper and then we you guys it plugged it in and I've right. done nothing else. Right.
1: And I don't I mean, I don't want to make this sound like an ad for drip, right? It's not like I'm trying to sell to your audience, but that that is the pain point that I'm solving, and that's how I'm trying to solve it better than anyone else. You know, that's that's why we're we're discussing this in this detail.
0: Right, right. So what kind of a return did you see on Hittail when you first built your your custom version of this?
1: We see about 30% increase, just between It's about twenty-eight and thirty-five percent increase in conversions. So you know, let's say you record you're converting one percent of website traffic Um, on Hit Tail. We started converting like one. Yeah, it's that's we don't convert one percent, but if we did, then it's about you know one point three. It would go up to there. Now that's not everyone's not getting that. That is on the high end for what I'm seeing, but the low end, I think the lowest. Sure, certainly, there are some that are at zero, but I, I most people are getting above a ten percent conversion rate increase. And it's a, the nice part is a one time investment. So you do this once, you set it up, and then it it just kind of runs. And on an ongoing basis, it it you know gathers enough uh, leads and nurtures them through this sequence that you just get a little a nice little bump in conversions. So you have to be at the point where that's worth it. it. Drip is fifty bucks a month, so it's not cheap. So you have to be at the point where where you have enough traffic and your price point is at the point where. A ten to thirty percent increase in conversions is actually worth. It should be worth substantially more than fifty dollars to you.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, when we were offline, or you know, not recording the show. You you gave us some pretty a pretty sick conversion rate for drip. Now, are you using? I, I imagine you're using drip on drip, right? Is yes. It, it's a recursive function. That's drip right. Is recursive. Yep. <laughs> and is that large? Do you think that has this, that's playing into conversion rate? I mean, I guess you probably haven't tested using Drip without Drip, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I do. So the the conversion rate we were talking about was trial users becoming paid users, trial Mm -hmm. to paid. And that number, our number is pretty high for Drip. Um, That is largely due to two things. One is our onboarding within the app itself um, just when you log in it, there, we have a really nice wizard that walks you through and kind of shows you the next step with a video, you know, a video if you want it or whatever. And then I do have drip emails that go out. Um, and they, they, you know, there's seven of them in the series maybe. And depending on what you do, if you don't do this certain step, we email you like every three days and we say, Hey, do you need help with this? We will do it for you. Like we'll install the code for people if they need to provide, you know, they provide us log to their site. Um, so that kind of stuff all helps goose that number up. Well, it seems, okay, so $50 your low, your low price point. Do you have a higher? higher yeah, I, there's 50, 100, and 150 a month. Well, it
0: seems to me when you're charging that much that it would, especially early on, it would be worth it for you to just say, hey, uh, I, I can help you out. Give me, let me give you, let's up let's a
1: phone call. Oh, absolutely. Right, yeah. when are you doing yep. that? I'm not, <laughs> but it <would> be <laughs> worth it. I, there's a couple things. I did. I onboarded a lot of people early on um, you know, drip just launched this month, so it's, it's still early, but I did, I did a, a slow launch thing for about three months where I was onboarding people one at a time. And what I found was I would offer to do Skype at that point, but most people were like, ah, email's fine. And so we did, I did a lot of email onboarding with people and some screencast onboarding, but, um, so we might do webinars. We might, I, it's not really my thing. I don't love doing Skype stuff, but I, what I probably need to do is hire somebody to do it. Right. Because I mean,
0: because you know, I, would, I would imagine that, well, especially with your sort of star power in the micropreneur world, I mean, people be like, hey, man, I can get on the phone with Rob Walling. You know, that sounds awesome. Sure. And then you, you could just walk them through this stuff. And at that point, they're going to feel almost obliged to sign up. Right. They're like, well, I just spent like a half hour talking to Rob. Like, I got to sign up now. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it, and then they start using it and then they become addicted to the crack, you know, consuming that drip works for them. And then you're over the hump.
1: Right. I might, you know, if I do it at all, it would probably be a little more scalable than one-on-one onboarding. And it might be more like doing a, a, a webinar. Yeah. Where I'd show people the process. And I, frankly, I'd like to show them, I mean, the best way to educate is to show people how to do what drip does, but how to do it without drip and say, here's how to do it. Like I'm truly not trying to sell this thing. Go do that. If you don't have the money, you know, or if you don't want to use a third party's thing.
2: Um, you know, um, I've often wondered if it would be a good idea to do something that was like a Drip, in the same way that you have the pop-up on the bottom right-hand side, but for the, a webinar. So, in other words, people will, can sign up for the webinar that's going to happen once a week. Absolutely. And then in that webinar, you you describe Drip.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be a great way to do it. I don't know of anyone who's using it that way, but that's one of the suggested ways that I've talked to some people about using. Cuz it's not all about just giving away an email course. There's some people that are using it to like give away a free report or to or to let people into a demo version of their app. Um, I think signing up if we were going to do webinars, I would absolutely use drip to to get people's info, you know, for that for the webinar. Yeah, it's anything lead. I mean, that's where I switched from thinking of it as an email capture form which is what maybe 80 or 90% of people do. But there's a lot of folks capturing leads and actually putting them, in, putting them into Salesforce and then following up. So it's a, that's a little bit different way to think about it.
0: You know, so when you first got, got started, I think I remember you, you, you told me that you emailed a bunch of friends. Actually, this is when you were just testing out the idea. Yep. Um, you emailed friends of yours who were entrepreneurs and asked them if a service like Drip would be useful. and. Right. If how much they pay for it, and at the time they were saying what about hundred dollars a month? Yeah, so that was it.
1: that was the price point I wanted to have, and I got I emailed seventeen people, and I got eleven to buy in at that price.
0: And how many of those eleven are customers now?
1: I think maybe five, maybe right in that area, about half. Now, are the other six still friends, or are you not friends yes. with them anymore? No, they are. And they weren't necessarily they friends. Yeah, right. You're done. <laughs> you and me, you're dead to me. No, they, um, it was, it, it was, uh, they are still friends. And then the, a lot of these guys, I just kind of knew and then I knew they were founders and could have the need. So they aren't necessarily people that I've ever even met or spoken to on the phone, but we just know of each other. And right. so, um, yeah, the, uh, the other guys, all everybody, almost everybody came in and tried it out. And then some, the biggest reason people aren't using it or don't use it is because they say, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to get the, the thing set up, you know, to get the, uh, the content set up, even though we'll do it from existing content. Some people say, well, we don't have any good existing content. And even though we have, I have a writer, a really good email writer. Um, and I put him through at cost. So basically he charges 500 bucks to write a five day mini course from scratch. Like he'll send you a questionnaire and then he writes it and right. I'm passing that through and we'll do it for 500 bucks. But people are like, well, I want to do it myself and you know, dah, da, da, da. So that was mostly the reason is, is like a, not able to prioritize it high enough. And that's why I think those other five or six, that, those are the reasons they gave me anyways.
0: Right, right. Well, that sounds reasonable. I mean, anytime that, t- anytime a, a product requires people to do work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that I think what they call that. conversion equals desirability minus friction.
1: Totally. Totally. And the nice, so the interesting thing is Hittail had ongoing friction because it constantly adds something to your to-do list, right? It's giving you new keyword suggestions that you should write about or order an article about or publish something about. Whereas Drip, it's, I've tried to front load the friction. So that means maybe less people converting to paid, but it really, really means, it should mean a lot lower churn long-term because that friction is front loaded. And so it's more of a set it and forget it type situation. It's my hope anyways.
0: Right, and I, I think you told us in the last discussion about drip that you had you hired a guy uh, who I guess you knew he had he'd won a couple of hackathons in 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 the area and you're in Fresno right you're in Fresno that's right, yep, yeah, and uh, he initially hired him to work on uh, hit tail, but then you pulled him over to drip, is he still with you and working on that stuff that's right,
1: yep, yeah, he was working half half on hit tail for a while, and then when when I got the idea for drip, I realized, you know, that I realized that we had built this thing for Hittail And I thought, huh, this might scale up to other, other businesses. And so I talked to him about it and said, I think I'm thinking about building something from scratch. If you'd like to write some greenfield code with the other 20 hours of your week. And so that's when I brought him on full time. And so he was halftime on drip for about five, it was about five or six months halftime code. And then at a certain point I said, let's just go full, full, on this. It's a bigger, drip has become bigger than I originally envisioned it, you know, as these things right. do. And so, yeah, he's, and then he's been full-time since, um, on drip since maybe May. So I guess that's about five, five ish, six ish months. Wow. You say, you say
2: drip has become bigger. Um, what are the challenges? What are the technical challenges? What are the business challenges? Yeah.
1: Um, my original vision for drip was literally that it was just an email capture form and sent out, you know, emails, autoresponder sequences, and then showed you who converted. So it was really going to be just a few screens. But as soon as people got in, they said, well, sometimes I may want to send a broadcast, you know, broadcast email to everybody, which makes sense. So we added that in. And then we added split testing, which I think was on the original feature list. Um... And then we've added, boy, we've added a bunch of reports that people want more info. We have a lot of data. And I hadn't thought through how much data we would have and the the power of that data if displayed correctly. And so now we're going back and and pulling, we have data in the database that we're, you know, creating new reports for. And so the app's starting to expand in that way. Um, The the other thing is we we do, we get a lot of feature requests. I have to pair through them because I don't want to build some big monster when people ask for stuff that, you know, is, is kind of a MailChimp ish feature. We're not MailChimp and we will, I don't want to compete with MailChimp. We are a different, you know, a different niched app. Basically we serve a different purpose. And so, uh, but even within, with that in mind, there's a lot of stuff coming through, um, about kind of workflow stuff or like rules. Like if someone does this, then I want them to, to be on this course. You know, if they show an interest in SEO, I want them to then go on to my SEO course. So that's a whole rules engine thing is another, uh, big piece of work that I think is going to, is going to have to be done pretty soon. And, and then marketing, um, the market is big and that's good because I wanted it to be a bigger market than, than say Hittail or, or any of my previous apps. Um, it is pretty competitive, but so far, so far things have been going well and drip has been able to set itself apart, I guess.
2: Um, in people's mind. What, what the, have been the key differences between marketing drip and marketing HitTail?
1: Well, it it really is a different demographic. I mean, HitTail is for people who know something about SEO, and there were channels that worked for that, and I think um, they will work for for drip as well. Drip is more marketed at people that either you know want to collect leads or want a higher conversion rates. So it's a lot of. Um, A lot of software entrepreneurs, which is good because I actually have some, you obviously reach into that market. There's SaaS operators. There are some info product operators and some bloggers. Fewer bloggers, though, they're just not willing to pay. You know, when you can get MailChimp for free up to a certain point, they're not willing to pay it. Um, But Drip has, I think, and I'm just getting into really starting to market it because it's only, you know, uh, been launched for two weeks and I've been trying to handle support and stuff. But um, I, I think Drip will... Knock on wood. I think it'll be easier to market than Hittail because it has a higher price point and will have should have a higher lifetime value, and that means I can spend more money to acquire customers, and that gives me the freedom to use avenues that didn't work with Hittail. things like AdWords or LinkedIn ads. you know they're ads that are just too expensive when you have a, a ten dollars a month product right,
0: right. Um, now well, what's been the what's been your sort of uh, marketing approach outside of doing the um you know AdWords? approach
1: sure um so i haven't done any adwords yet uh, i will probably dive into that at some point but I'm i mean that's
0: your that's your bread and butter right i mean that's what you spent most of your time marketing previous products in the, in the past right so,
1: you know no not really i have used adwords it's not my i wouldn't say it's my bread and butter i'll say it worked it worked better five, six years ago, and it's slowly become more and more expensive over time. So oh. I do think AdWords will work for Drip, but I don't, I wouldn't count on it as like the major lead gen, you know, or a major, major customer. Oh, right, right. Okay. Okay. All right. Because yep. you,
0: you spend more on the keyword and on, on using on keyword content stuff, right?
1: Yeah, like SEO and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. SEO is definitely a, a powerful thing. I haven't done any SEO on Drip yet. Um, I do plan to do that. Um, I will do paid acquisition for sure. I will probably do AdWords and, and LinkedIn ads and Facebook ads, and of course, retargeting, which is something that has worked well on Hittail. Um, those will be early channels. I'm trying to think of what else. Content marketing is a big one, right? Actually, creating, which is different than SEO. SEO is just getting traffic from search engines, but content marketing is like creating shareable, linkable, tweetable content that's really engaging and has, you know, a nice headline and that kind of stuff. So you need a very high-end writer to do that. Um, Whereas SEO stuff, you can go lower end. So I'll be doing all mixes of of that kind of stuff. Right, right. And coming on podcasts, honestly. (laughs) You know, Uh, does that actually help? um, It depends on the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I do think, now Startups for the Rest of Us has driven more, has driven several signups. And it typically, typically my audience doesn't, you know, there are some folks who listen to us, who, who use Hit Tail? but it's not a huge percentage. Whereas I do feel like there's a higher percentage who use.
0: Right now you, cause you, I think you told me, I guess this was when hit, when you were marketing Tail. it went on like 10 or 15 different podcasts. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. A few yep. weeks. Mm-hmm. And how, how, now are you planning on doing the same thing with drip? <laughs> I think so. I don't, I think I'm going to niche it down a little, uh, a little more and not go on so many and just really hand pick a few of the bigger ones and see if I can get on them. Like I, I, pr- I will very likely go back on Mixer G, um, in the next six weeks maybe, because that oh, one, that one made a difference, right? The the numbers are so large there. He just has such an audience and it does align quite well with the drip, the drip value proposition. Um, I kind of want to get one big feature out first before that get, goes live, but uh, Mixer G will be worth it um, there's a few others I think there's a few kind of in the, the online business space that I think could be, could be worth it but I probably won't go on as many <laughs> as I did last time that was kind of me just doing I won't say Hail Mary, it was me testing that approach I'd never done that, you know, like a podcast tour or podcast press tour um, right, but, I, right. but I saw which ones drove traffic and I'll, I'll go back on those again for sure Interesting, cool H- How big is Mixer G? Do, do you even know the numbers? I don't it has. To, I don't know. I would say it has to be in, in six figures, like 100,000 100, or more uh, you know, right. listeners or whatever, because it's pretty broad. It's a lot broader than our shows.
0: You know? Yeah, that's yeah, true. He does. He covers just sort of business in general, it seems like, or any business that has an online component. What about Startups for the Rest of Us? Have you mm-hmm. been on oh, – not Startups for the rest of Us, I'm sorry. Um, what's uh, Jason Calacanis? Oh, This Week in Startups.
1: I've never been on there. I, I mean, they have a huge reach, but man, I don't. Does he ever interview lifestyle business people or you know, small? I should say unfunded or, or self-funded startups. It's always probably all probably VC not. space. Yeah, I don't even I know. Mean, how
0: he might. He might. He might. He might interview one if they got really big. Yeah, I don't think it's whether it's funny or not funny. It's like he wants something that's like, you know, gonna make a big splash in the world, not necessarily make someone a nice that's, healthy that's income.
1: Right. That's right. Exactly. He wants, yeah, make a dent in the universe, that type of thing. It'd be kind of, I mean, I think going on his show would be similar to getting written up in TechCrunch. Like, it's, it's really hard to do. I have no connections for that. I do think it'd send a lot of traffic and some, you know, a portion of it would convert, but um, much harder to get on. If I don't have kind of a, a warm lead, I'm probably not going to explore it anytime well, soon. J-
2: we are buddies with Jason Carlacanis. I mean, he's been on TechSync. So. Oh, that's right.
1: <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, but that's not like, I don't think we have a whole lot of pull with him. I don't yeah. Think that- I don't think buddies would be over. <laughs> buddies. Yeah, I know yeah. <laughs> a little bit. He lives down there in LA, right? Yeah, he does. is Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know, Justin, we can send you over there. You go there and sure. knock on his door for me. Yeah. Knock his door. Yeah. Oh, since you guys are buddies. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah. Uh, what, actually, what else should we talk about? I'm trying to figure out, I don't want to ask the same questions that we asked last time. Right. Um, well, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, in terms of where you're going to go with this business, I mean, what, what what are your plans? I mean, is this something where you would like to get funding and blow it up, or would you just like to bootstrap it and make it really big? I mean, I, I mean, how, what, what are you thinking? And what are your? I mean, because you know, it could be like a WP engine with Jason Cohen, right? You know, did it. I mean he, he I guess he got some angel funding and got that thing pretty big, and yeah, and buddies with Jason. Have you
1: talked to him about it? Um. Uh, talk to him about WP Engine, or
0: no? About, about you oh. know, like his thought process in growing WP Engine, yeah, making money, making money, and what you may or may not do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think his, you know, WP Engine is is a huge idea, right? Like twenty percent of the internet runs on WordPress, and so, and he hit this awesome market segment uh, between the super high end and the super low end, and really delivered an awesome product. And so, I think WP Engine. I mean, it's a hundred million dollar company, right? I think it's not now, but I think it has a potential drip. Isn't that big. It could be turned into something that could be bigger. I mean, there are a bunch of funded companies in the space. Like there's a uh, Vero and I think, I don't know if user Fox is, uh, intercom.io and customer.io are not direct competitors, but they do kind of behavioral email. So there's a lot of folks with a lot of money in the bank that are in the space. So yes, I could probably raise funding, um, I don't, that doesn't sound desirable to me. Um, I think that at this point to get it this far and to see that, you know, there's early growth going on that's that's quite pleasing. <laughs> it, it's good early growth. It's solid early growth. <laughs> the think, growth pleases you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And I don't know that I need,
1: I just don't need the funding right now. I think if I if I hit a point where I realize, oh crap, I do need half a million bucks in order to grow this, I I wouldn't not consider it. But at this point, I have enough money, you know, in the, in the war chest from other stuff that I can go, I can push it pretty hard and, and just grow this one up. It just sounds more fun, to be honest, to stay small. So it's me and my developer, Derek, and I have a support guy and it's fun being small and lean. I really enjoy that. And they've thought of, you know, if I raised half a million, people would probably say, well, you have to grow your team. You have to hire a bunch of people. And that doesn't, I don't, it doesn't sound like fun to me at all. And I am, I won't say I'm only in it for the fun, but if I'm going to be stressed out, that's not cool. Like I have enough stuff in my life that I can't control. <laughs> I can control this, you know. Yeah. So, I'm going right. to I'm going to keep it at a pace. And I don't want to be the I'm I'm not the guy who says, "Oh, I'm I'm not like scared of managing people. I've managed people in the past. I'm not scared of growing a company. I've grown companies in the past, but it just doesn't sound interesting and I don't need to do anything like that, right? Like I I've made a full-time income on smaller products for years and Hittail and MicroConf and the Academy and all my, my book and alignment jobs and invoice. I mean, these other things I own, I've lived off of though off just a portion of that for a year. So I don't need drip to live per se. So I, why, why would I like push it to the metal, you know, if I don't really have the desire to do that and kind of make my life not as fun. That's, that's how I'm looking at it right. now. Well,
2: it's, that is an interesting point. Like what, what is your kind of, you know, end game if there is one or is it just to kind of keep on acquiring stuff and try and do bigger things next time around yeah. just for the fun of it yeah i i don't so i don't look out more than about 18 months to two years because i just
1: feel like i i can't say where am i going to be in 10 years right but i know that in 18 months to two years i will have or i i think i will have grown drip uh, you know pretty large hopefully very quickly and at that point i will then look out another 18 months to two years. And the reason that I did, I mean, I, you know, I stopped doing Hittail. I mean, I still own it and it, it runs and everything, but I stopped really focusing on it and moved to drip because it's just a bigger idea. And it's more interesting right now. Like that's where I go. I need to be constantly learning. I'm, uh, you know, I took the, what is it called? It's like the stand, there's a standout test and there's the strengths finder. And one of mm-hmm. there's a couple of things. One of them is you need to be achieving. And the other one is you need to be a learner. And if you're not learning, then you're going to be unhappy. And so that's a, that's kind of a it's cool because I love learning stuff, but it's kind of a drag that I can't I can't do the same thing for more than a year or two. I was a job hopper, you know, and now I'm kind of a an app idea hopper. So, yeah,
2: interesting. Yeah, but does uh, does it mean that um, you know, in like in ten iterations time, you're going to be building something like Amazon?
1: I I don't know. I that's <laughs> well, that's the, really, that's the
2: exponential direction is going. You know, going it, in, it right? is, it
1: is. But it, here's another alternative. What if and I don't know, I haven't given this thought, but I don't think I'll, I think if if Drip works out successfully, you know, over the next couple of years, you're right, the next t- to 10 exit would probably mean raising funding because I just couldn't get there without funding next time. But an alternative is what if I stop launching products and instead I either become just, like an investor, like what if I become an angel investor for bootstrappers? I know that makes no sense, but like an angel investor and a mentor for those guys, that would still be fun. I'd still be involved in stuff and I'd still probably be pretty challenged, but maybe I don't have to launch my own stuff every 24 months like I'm doing now, you know?
0: Well, the, hmm. um, I mean, with the jobs act passing, it sounds like this mm-hmm. stuff is going to be possible because I mean, bootstrap companies, um, you know, can take money even if, well, I guess, you know, you, if you're not accredited, you, you know, if drip succeeds, you, Will be accredited investor right. at some point, but yeah. um, whatever. I mean, it, it sounds like it's going to make it easier to to take money in anyway, right. Regardless, that's right. Um, so, w- one thing I think will be interesting to hear about is the your what you call it your slow onboarding process, slow launch. Yeah, slow launch. You, we were gathering up. I guess uh, your beta testers one by one or whatever. I mean, how did that work out, and why did you do it that way?
1: Yeah. So. Basically, I, I had built up a list of about, at this point, it was, the list ended up being about 3,500 emails. But at this point, um,
0: okay, first of all, how the hell do you get 3,500 emails? Yeah, that was, you
1: know, I just went on, I got
0: 3,500 emails, like, o- you know, just walk across the street and grab a Coke. It know? was
1: magic. Yeah. No, it was, um, uh, to be honest, the, the first 500 were from my audience, and that was me talking about it on the podcast, and I went on a couple other podcasts. I didn't really promote it because I didn't want to promote it at that point, but it just kind of comes up in conversation. And those 500 did not convert very well at all in the end. When I emailed that group, the conversion rate was uh, to trial was substantially low. And that, that's okay. People were just wanting to see how I was going to market it, right? They wanted see, how, how, many, how, what, how many people was that? The five, first how many? 500. First 500. Okay. Yep. All right. Um. And then there were about 500 that I got from almost like mentions on other podcasts. I either went on the podcast, like I went on Foolish Adventure and um, Product People. And I think I mentioned it. Yeah, I mentioned on Texting Last Time, didn't I? Or you guys mentioned it? Um, Like Brennan Dunn did a blog post about it. He was like an early, early access. So he did a blog post. Patrick McKenzie mentioned it. So there were just some kind of mentions of my friends. This is Circle 2, right? So think of it as Concentric circles. Circle 1 was my podcast and my audience, and my microconf talk. And that got me about 500. Circle two are these other folks, texting and Foolish Venture, Patrick McKenzie. And they're my friends, basically. And they got me about another 500. Okay. Then there was a circle three that started coming because, um, well, I guess the, the nice part about Drip is it has a visual element, and it says powered by Drip at the bottom. You can remove that if you pay extra. But by default, there's a powered by Drip link. And so someone... Picked that up and like the next web wrote about it. I'm not exactly sure why during the early access. Um, Chris Lemma, who's a big WordPress blogger, was an early access user and he liked it. And so he wrote a post about it. And then that linked to some, allowed someone else. It wound up on Mashable at one point by, I think, a friend who I know. Like, he, so that got me. That was kind of the press. It was the third outer circle, you know, of people that I don't know firsthand, but it kind of spread a little bit. I think the idea, I think being in the space that, the the email marketing space has, has some advantages. So that got me another 500 probably. So that right. I'm okay. up to about 1500. Then I did Facebook ads and I got about 600 through that. That was a test. I wanted this. I tested a bunch of headlines and images and all types of stuff. I wanted the, so I wanted, so on day one when drip launched that I already knew the value prop that I was going to use to advertise it. And so that's, I was testing while it was in beta, just sending, um, or even before it was in beta, frankly, when it was just a landing page, I was sending traffic to that and seeing what converted. So I think actually we wound up with almost seven or 800 at the, by the time uh, from Facebook ads uh, by the time the list went live. And then there was another thing. There was this interesting viral loop that w- the, we kind of stumbled upon. Derek and I were at MicroConf and Heaton Shaw had said, if you have a visual element on a page, add a powered by link. And we didn't have that when we first, first launched. Um, I say launched when we were on the first two people's sites. And then we realized we need to add a powered by link. And that has actually sent a lot of—I uh, won't say a lot. It has sent a noticeable amount of traffic, and that added several hundred people to the list as well. Oh wait, wait. Let me show you. So you, when, when you're on what kind of a page, you get it powered by a Link. If
2: you have the widget, I guess yep, the widget. That's right.
1: So if you go to HitTail.com and look in the lower right, there's the widget there, and at the bottom of that widget, when it pops up, it says powered by Drip. And if you okay, go to Plug.io.com, so there's just, it's just like Olark, right? If you go to the bottom of an Olark chat window, it says powered by Olark, and it links through. So again, you can remove at certain plan levels that we remove that link, but for the lowest plan, we leave it in. And that has sent us um, a decent amount of traffic. So that's been, those are the main, kind of the main five ways that I've, that I've built the list.
0: Yeah. I tell you, Heat and Shaw
1: is, has is an endless supply of good ideas. It's yep. amazing. That's what, and that one tip, like has made a, a big difference, a noticeable difference. And tips that I got, you know, it, that's why I love MicroConf, actually. <laughs> it's my conference, yeah. so I, I hate to talk too good about it, but I go there to get these types of suggestions that totally change the way you do business, you know.
0: Yeah, because I, I remember the, the, the one of the first things I remember him saying that I thought was incredibly clever was when you have recurring subscription to, you know, um, for, for, you know, and, and, and you know, people have their, their credit card on file. And if if one month this happens that it no longer works because it's expired and they renew it, you just up the year, like one or two years, and it'll automatically work. Yeah, I've heard of it. Not all of the times, but it'll, a significant amount of time, it's just that they just forgot to update it. It's just, you know, right. two years in the future or something like that. right. Yeah, it's a really good idea. It's almost it's so obvious, but you could, you can imagine that most people don't ever think about that,
1: right? And that comes from you know he he owns a number of SaaS apps, and so they've run across this multiple times and figured out an interesting solution for it.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, and he's. So you're talking about the slow onboarding. Yeah,
1: so I had this list of you know 2,500 people, and we were ready to get the first few in, and I'm thinking to myself. I don't want to send an email to 2,500 people. It, like, we would be overrun. Can our can we even handle that? Can we send that many emails without getting blocked, you know, as as spammers? You can't just ramp up that fast, even if you're sending legit emails. Um, and, you know, can our, we have real-time tracking of conversions and all this stuff, so we had a lot of data into the database. And I was concerned that, I don't know if we could handle it. So instead, I emailed the first 300. And I handpicked some people from a survey that I had sent to get that 300, and that got us, well, you know what? I should even take a step back. Before I did this email, I went back to those original 11. And one by one, I tried to you know, get them on and onboarded and manually um, help them get set up. And a lot of them, I would cut. You know, I was doing the original creation of their courses. If they had I wouldn't write it from scratch, but if they had content, I would personally go in and copy and paste it in. I did that for about two of the courses and then I had my my support guy start doing it. But it was really a hand holding process. It was a high touch sales process. And I did it so that I could find out what confusion points they had, what features they needed, because they were very open to to just emailing me and saying, hey, I really need this thing to, you know, BCC an address whenever anyone subscribes or something like that. And that was my learning. And that was, we got so many good features out of that. And I saw, I designed my entire, you know, what's now the automated onboarding process. All of that was designed based on these one-on-one interactions. And all of the emails that are now sent during the trial are emails that I handcrafted and sent to the people along the way to help them go in. And I just started saving those in a text file. And so I knew what worked and what didn't, you know, cause I'd work one-on-one. And so by the end of that, my, pretty much my onboarding and getting people value out of the product was already, it was already designed. So that was, that was a nice, uh, nice way to do it. And I probably took about, I think we got 15, I got 20 people onboarded and I think about 15 of them stuck around, um, and started paying. And it took me maybe sixty days to do that, somewhere between forty five and sixty days. and by the end of that, I had done so much learning, and I had you know fifteen people at fifty bucks a pop that was seven hundred fifty in monthly revenue like that I felt pretty good about that, not even having sent an email out you know to to the list I already had. I was approaching four figures, and so that was um, that was something I will do again. How about that? If I launch another app it'll I'll definitely do this this slow kind of the the early onboarding of the early access customers,
0: right. Right. And then I, That you makes know. sense because you, your learning process is like you don't screw things up. Totally. At scale, yeah. you screw up yep. with one or you irritate like five people instead That's of 500 exactly people. exactly right.
1: Yep. And so and, we and did. You,
0: you could always call five people up one by one and say, I'm sorry, let's, let me fix this for you. That's
1: 500 right. 500 people, not so much. That's right that's exactly right. We had sometimes, you know, email was delayed one day, but we only had 15 people and the volume was low. We also, you know, we didn't have billing running. I was literally going manually into Stripe and typing in $49 to this person's card and hitting submit and then setting a calendar reminder for myself for the 21st of the next month. You know, I mean, it was, it was that, that janky because that wasn't, we didn't need that, right? It wasn't as important as getting folks using it and getting their feedback. And that was our feature list for the next, you know, months of of features came out of that that I think are really make the product a lot better. And so by the time I started emailing, so now I have this list of 2,500, which eventually grew to 3,500. By the time I start emailing that list, I'm much more confident that A, the product will hold up, that B, the value prop, it's actually solves a problem for some people, maybe not everybody, but for some, and that it's worth paying for. And C, I'm pretty confident in my onboarding, pretty confident that I've answered 80% of the questions people will have. And so my conversion rate that, you know, on those emails is going to be high, way higher than if I had just mass emailed 2,500 people with kind of a, hey, come join my SaaS app. Like a lot, this is what a lot of folks do, right? As soon as the code's done, v.5, v. let's just email everybody and get them in. And I, I, I didn't want to do that. I kind of wanted to maximize it a little more and, and be, be more ready for that group.
0: Right. Uh, that's a good point. Um, well, what, uh, what are some things you've done that you think are sort of, I mean, other than the things that we've talked about, are surprising or people wouldn't think to do or, or maybe that are um, at odds with what the, uh, I don't know, the best practices of sort of bootstrap startups.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I... Or I, mean, can think, I don't mean to put yeah, you on the spot. No, no, I mean, no, that's no. probably
0: something you don't spend a lot of time thinking about. But.
1: I, I don't, but I, I mean, I have some things I can throw out. One is I I have the means now, you know, with Hittail with being profitable I hired a designer that is quite expensive. And so if I was bootstrapping my first app, I would not have paid, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what I paid for the design, somewhere between five and $7,000 for the design of the sales site of like right. four or five pages. Like it's not, you know, it's not a lot of stuff, but I I paid that because it's worth it and because I have the money and because I, I wanted a really good looking site, you know, and I think it will convert better. So that's one thing that might go against what a lot of people would do. Um, I think... I think doing the slow launch is something most people don't think about. I think, you know, we spent probably between one and two weeks, and this is me almost full-time and my developer. So this is like a, almost a man month of time just doing onboarding, just fo- just automating onboarding. It is intensely, intensely, wow. intensely scripted. So most people don't put that much time into it, but that is where you will lose a lot of your people. You know, if you get 100 people to sign up for your app, but nobody experiences value. They don't have that, that, that aha moment. You need to get that moment as soon as you can. And with a tool like Drip, where you actually have to install code and then create emails and then set up a, convert, you know, a goal, it's, it's cumbersome to get started. And so that was something I paid a lot, of, a lot more attention to than I think uh, some folks might. Right, right.
0: Um, you've done all of your startups as a solo entrepreneur, right? I mean, yeah. other than, I guess, doing the... Micropreneur Academy with, uh, with Mike Rob. I'm oh, not Mike. I'm sorry. Yep, you're Rob. <laughs> yeah, with Mike. Um, I mean, how are you feeling about this being a solo entrepreneur after, at this point? Are you still think it's the way for you, or just I half do. Of that's the way it was?: and Yeah,
1: I, I, I think the, the more I've gone on to, the more confidence I have in my abilities and, and my ability to execute, and I just feel like I can make good decisions. So I think I need a, founder, a co-founder less now than I used to. I think early on, I, uh, you know, I kind of wanted a co-founder with some apps because I just was less sure of myself, needed sanity checks on things, didn't know what to do you know, a lot of the time. But now that I just have more confidence in that, I, I would probably never you know, take a co-founder on at this point. For any right. Time. Now, when you're doing the, the
0: microproduer Academy, I mean, is it like almost all solo entrepreneurs or do you have teams of people coming
1: in? It is mostly solo founders, yeah. Um, I'd say eighty to ninety percent, and that's microcompetencies too. You know, most people don't have cofounders.
0: What? What do you? That's interesting. So, in a sense, you could. There's pretty high correlation, I guess, to bootstrap startups are solopreneur efforts funded are teams.
1: Yeah, I, I would say I would say that's true, and I think a piece of that is that. Um, well, there a bunch of factors into it that play into it, but it's interesting thing is if you think about building a bootstrapped app, a lot of bootstrapped apps are only going to get to five or 10,000 a month if you're lucky. And if, if you can build that as a single founder, you know, at 10 grand a month, you can live most places of the country, um, on your own. But if you have two or three founders, which I, ha- I do know some bootstrappers who are like two and three founders and they need, you need to get a lot more revenue. You have to pick a bigger market. You have to pick a more competitive market by definition, in order to right. get to that point of, you know, with three founders, you got to be at thirty grand a month. That's that's a no, that's a sizable market. You know, that's a non-trivial task. Every app will not get to that point.
2: I'll put it that way. Why do you think that um, so many bootstrapped apps, you know, five five to ten thousand is their kind of limit?
1: Well, I just I don't know that five to ten is is an absolute limit, but I bootstrapped apps for them to see the light of day you you have to pick something that's small enough that you can get it done in six months, you know, if you're doing nights and weekends. The people who I see who push it out and work on it for a year or two or more, they almost they almost never launch. Cause it's just you just lose, you get just get disheartened. And so all that to say, you know, if if you're working on an app that you can get done nights and weekends in six months, then it's just a smaller V1 and it you can't come out and compete against MailChimp or HubSpot or HootSuite, you know, or or just like some big, HootSuite's not a good example. That's actually not a huge app, but you can't come out of the gate in six months and try to compete against a huge player. And so I think you have to tackle smaller problems early on. And that thus means your market's a little smaller, Now you can always expand into something. I mean, if you, you know, if you hit something, um, I mean, you know, Ruben is a good example with Bidscatch. He originally went after proposal software for designers. And then he, now he's proposal software for everybody, you know, right. Freelancers and consultants and other stuff. And he did a really good pivot into a horizontal becoming a horizontal tool, um, and has thus expanded his market. But I think overall, uh, in general, if you do, you know, when you first come out of the gate, I do think that a lot of bootstrap ideas are justifiably limited in scope. I think that's a good thing, right? It's, that's my thing of like niching down. You can just get more traction if you're niched, but that also means that you are limited on the top end.
0: Right. Right.
1: um, so what's the, where are you going to take Biker Purdue
0: Academy? I mean, is this, is, are you, I mean, it's, you've had it around for what, about four or five years now? Yeah,
1: I think about four years. So that's it. I mean, for those who haven't heard, it's a, like an online startup community. Basically it's a paid startup community. It's about, it's 50 bucks a month and there's, there are forms in there and then there's a bunch of tactical information, some courses and stuff. Um, to be honest, Mike and I are talking right now about revamping it. About redoing it, and and I don't know what the end result will be, but we want to move it on to some better software because it's it's on WordPress with plugins and all types of stuff, and the forums are not that good. We just want to revamp it and kind of um, up it, you know, up the level, up the game a little bit.
0: Right, but so you, but you're feeling like you're going strong with um, the the academy and what, and, yep. and the micropreneur and the, and the microconf. Yes, those uh, conference.
1: The, yeah, the microconf is growing every year and selling out every year, and. Um, the community is getting tighter. Like the 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 folks who are seeing each other at Microconf every year are coming back, and they are forming mastermind groups. And they are I don't know. There's just there is a movement there. Like I'm really happy with what's going on in the academy and in in kind of the conference space in the in the in person version of it. And I, Mike and I, have done a lot of talking about this about we've uh, I'll say semi intentionally not fully intentionally, we've, we really have been able to bring together a group of people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to find each other, you know? And there's, there's pretty valuable. I mean, and we did this for ourselves as much as anybody else, right? Like I wanted to, I want to be friends with all of these people. This is you guys included, you know? I mean, that's why I go to, I, MicroConf is the conference that I wanted to attend. That's why Mike and I started doing it, you know, is there was no conference for us. And
2: so, yeah, so I do. I remember in the early days, you, 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 you didn't even know if you truly wanted to do it when, when you first started talking about it with myself and Jason. Yep. You're like, is this really worth all this effort? Yep. But it turns out that it really it, is.
1: It is. It is. And I think that a lot of good comes out of it for everybody, you know, for, for the attendees and stuff. And it's, it's cool to be part of it, for sure.
0: And what about uh, Startups for the Rest of Us? Because that's you guys have been doing that also for probably about three years now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, a hundred and almost 60 episodes, I think, um, three, three and a half years, something. Yeah. We, we didn't do it every week for a while, so I don't know how long it's been, but yeah, w- there's no reason to not do that. Like we, Hey, it's one of the highlights of my week is recording that show. I really enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, I also find it to be a good accountability thing. Like it has kept me thinking about things in terms of drip and motivated. And I do feel some pressure cause I will commit to things on it. And say, ah, oh, mm-hmm. we're doing this, we're doing now. And I think, man, what, what do I have to talk about on the podcast about Drip? And if I don't have anything, why not? Like, what have I not been doing, you know? So, it, which is a good right. thing for me because I have no co-founder. I have no, I have very limited accountability, you know? And so, it it definitely helps there. And then, it does serve as a, you know, as a means to to bring people, <laughs> because microcomps once a year, and what so what do people do every week, you know? Like, it kind of keeps them aware of what's going on in the world and people now a lot of the listeners hear themselves being mentioned if you launch a product or hear other people they met at microconf being mentioned and so it kind of i like to think of it at the first section especially as kind of the the community announcements almost you know we always talk about hey so-and-so launched this app this week or so-and-so got mentioned in this thing i mean it's it's like a fun thing
0: yeah that's cool yeah yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like worth. I mean, so Justin, we've done it to a two hundred and forty-five. This is our two hundred forty-six show.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you guys I, the same thing. Yeah, about yeah, enjoying it. Are you going I mean, to keep doing it? That kind of stuff. Well, what do you what do you say,
0: Justin?
2: Well, i I'm, I pretty much feel like I have to keep doing it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have your weekly therapy outlet.
1: Oh <laughs> snap! That was right, brutal. Right.
0: <laughs> okay, so aside, aside from my weekly therapy, um, what, what, you, know, what, do you, what do you what do you think about it? I mean, is this something you want to do for another few years
2: or what? I mean, from, from, from my perspective, I have no intention of stopping. I, I, I think this is, for the rest of my life, texting. <laughs> Talking to Jason, my buddy, once a week. How are you doing? A commitment. That's, that's, that's the way I feel about it, yeah.
0: Yeah, although I, you know, uh, one thing is I feel I feel like us doing it once every couple of weeks, which has then dwindled to once every three weeks quite often, is is kind of hurting the show. Like it makes me lose interest in it because it feels so half-assed. Right. You know? So
2: well, the, well, notice I said once a week there in in my response.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you know we we dropped it down for once every couple of weeks because I think we were we were both pretty busy there. But I, I'm kind of because you know what happens is is that Once you, it kind of reminds me of working out. They say like you can't skip a day. Because you skip one day, it's easy to skip two. And if you skip two, you can easily skip a week. And once you skip a week, you're kind of done. Right. You know, it's like you kind of have to hold yourself to some kind of regular schedule. Otherwise, it's just it's just the inevitable slide into nothing. And I'm a little worried about that with texting because it's like well. Okay, it goes once every two weeks. Okay, fine. Then pre- every once in a while, it's three weeks. And then it's three weeks a couple times in a row. And then if you do something once every three weeks, it's like you hardly even think about it that much anymore, in which case it's easy to just be like, screw it.
1: Right. You know? Have you guys ever thought about, because the, the the one thing that got Mike and I to do it consistently, we didn't do it consistently at first. What got us to do it consistently is we marked off a specific day and a specific time. And every week now for three years, we've recorded. So every Tuesday afternoon, 2.30 Pacific is when Mike and I record. And I know, even if you guys are doing every two weeks, if you just said every, you know, two weeks, do you have the, the consistency of schedule to be able to do something like that? Um. Hmm.
0: Well, you know, we we could if we did it during the week, probably. Um, yeah. You know, although Justin's life tends to be a little You know, he's your life, Justin. He's a little more con- inconsistent to mine during the week. I think. Um, you know, you'd yeah, I but know, I, just, I
2: could I could commit to a week time. I mean, I I could. Be be definitely easier than the weekend. Right. The weekend is trickier for me now because as the kids
0: are getting older, it's, you know, it's, you know, soccer, basketball, football, whatever. I mean, the kids just always, you know, the, the mornings are always just filled up with different types of activities. So sometimes I don't even free up from that stuff until like three o'clock, you know, and it's not I mean, like I, the whole time is, but just enough of the time. It's like, there's no time to insert a podcast,
2: you know, I, I've always wanted to do the show in the week and Jason's already always wanted to do it on the weekend.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, that's the problem challenge. is for the week is when I'm most productive. You know, it's like, you know, I I have so much stuff that I'm trying to get done that um during the week, you know, I just feel frustrated if I like take a two hour chunk out of my day out of my day to to do something that's not work. Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. Um, but whereas a weekend, you know, I I don't feel so guilty about it. I mean, I feel like okay, well there's time that I'd spend with the kids and there's time there where I'm just kind of relaxing a little bit and I can therefore use that time. That might be relaxation time into recording a show and I don't feel guilty about it, but, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I could just use a time of the weekend to get a little more work done, and Maybe just, okay, well, Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. we do the show. Right. Right.
2: But I think not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. I think we might want to consider doing that because, um, I'm just, I'm feeling like the once every three week thing is just getting kind of ridiculous. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, cause it's funny. It's like, so we were, uh, you know, we were going to record a show this weekend or I guess I don't, maybe I don't just even talked about, it. I just assumed we were going to do one cause we didn't do it last weekend because of Justin was sick or whatever. And then, um, and, uh, and I was starting to think and I, I forgot that we were doing, a, we were doing a show uh, today until you know, my calendar remind me and I was thinking, you know, there's so many things I had written down I don't want to talk about, but starting to get so far in the past that, you know, it just kind of loses its uh, its zip, you know. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, like three weeks ago this thing happened that I was thinking about, you know, as opposed to like two days ago.
1: Right. Yeah, you, and, you, know,
0: like, y- yeah, you know how like you-, you have something happen and you go tell your friends about it, and like, or the next time you see your friend, you're like, oh, yeah, so I did this or this happened or whatever. And it just happened like a day or two ago, so you're kind of really fired up about it or interested in it or, or you had all the details in your head, but inevitably you're going to talk about it with, you know, your wife or a couple of your closest friends. So by the third or fourth or fifth time of telling it, it's just completely loses. Yeah. It, 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 it kind of reminds me of uh, it going to a reunion. I remember when I went to my first, I don't know if my, my first high school reunion, but it was like the fifth or 10th reunion or something, 10 year reunion. And, you know, the first couple of people you talk to, I mean, you you go into detail about everything, Right. And, but when you get down to the 10th person, I mean, you got your whole life into like index card size. You know, you're like, oh, I switched to college Chicago, did this, blah, 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 blah. And what'd you do? You got <laughs> right? the elevator pitch down. Yeah. Right. Totally. I mean, because it's just like you can't go to the detail. And then, and then, but by that 10th person, you're completely and utterly bored with your own life. Right. Like, I just can't even talk about it. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <You> <laughs> right. Know? right. So that's one reason that I think, at least for me, we got to do this more frequently because this, the things that i that are interesting lose their life and they just become kind of these things that happened way in the past that i don't really care that much about anymore or just are not as interesting or whatever
1: right yeah you know what you <clears throat> what you could do that might help with that is uh, set, if you set up a trello board and then you can get the unique email for that and whenever mm-hmm. you- you know, it'll add something to the board. And then whenever you, um, hear something or, or experience something, you're like, Oh man, I totally want to talk about that on the podcast. I, I, cause I do this. I pop up my phone and I do a new G, you know, new mail through Gmail. And I just type, I have a contact called Trello. It's my board. And so I email it to Trello and I just type in like five words or 10 words that will remind me of it. So then when I come to, to outline the podcast or do whatever, it's, it's all there in, in order, right? It's in reverse order of the occurrence. So if something is too old, I just archive them out. But there's going to be some in there that are going to be cool enough. You know, at least you're capturing them somewhere and right. they could, and I don't know. I'm just, That's just an idea. One, one. Way yeah. Do well, it. I have like this an amazing app for doing that. It's called the Big Ass Text File. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good too, actually. Simple Node or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have my, my, my text file on my desktop and I just have a subsection in there or whatever that just says show notes and anything that I think about that I think might be interesting or a link or something that I want to make sure to, to talk about on the show, I'll, I'll kind of paste them in there. But then uh, links have gotten a little lazy because sometimes what I'll do is like, you know, right before the show, maybe an hour before the show, I'll go into Instapaper and I'll go look at all the things that I read in the archive section and I'll flip through and I'm like, ah, that'll be a good one. Ah, that'll be a good one, you know. Like I try to figure out what, like, what Justin want to talk about this, you know? Right, right. It's like because you, you, you know, it's not like just do I find it interesting, but it's like is Justin just gonna give me look at look look at me with a blank look on his face? You know? Right. Like why why are we talking about this? Um. So I don't know, but uh, but you guys do a much more structured on topic show right like 10 ways to increase conversions through email marketing or 10 ways to you know get your first customers or something like that so you guys really have to work together on that on the on the material don't you
1: we we take turns so I will outline an entire show and then he will outline the next one if we're doing that type of teaching we now have three show formats it seems like we have one that is just a complete like update show and we update about what we're working on, right? Hit, tail, drip, audit shark, stuff that happened, stuff that we saw, and we do. We don't talk so much about Y Combinator stuff or hacker. I'm sorry, hacker news stuff like you guys do, but sometimes that answers it. So that's kind of a random show. Then we have the Q and A shows where we will just answer, you know, between four and eight questions that we've received from listeners, and then we do have kind of the teaching show that's like a conference talk, like you said, where it's ten ways to do X or whatever. Um, is audit shark life? It is. Yeah,
2: you can go to autotrack.com and, and... So does he have customers he and
1: stuff? Does, like? yes. He does, uh, yes. Wow. Thing,
2: last I heard he... How's it going?
1: I, last I heard he had one paying customer, but I haven't asked him in like a month. Like we, we don't actually talk, almost talk, all, ugh, we almost don't talk except for on the podcast. So I I literally <laughs> don't, I mean, we've done a little bit since we're talking about microconf now offline, we do some of that, but um, we don't talk much about uh, each other's apps. So I don't that's know how, what his customer count is but it's you know he's he's in the slow launch phase I think is where he is you know trying Very slow yeah, launch. Yeah.
0: Yeah so he's trying Many years. Yeah. yeah that's amazing that he actually is is had launched cuz it. it was the longest I think it was the it's longest I've ever heard of anyone working on a project I know.
1: And, and and actually launching it that's yep. amazing. I know. Most most of the time if it goes that long it just peter's out. Mike and I've talked about that both on the podcast and off you know, I, I had asked him offline, like, are you, do you think you're going to launch it? And he always, he said, yeah, I'm going to, like, it's, it's taken me a long time, but he's still motivated to do it, you know? And he actually had, uh, I don't know if you heard the episode, but he had a health issue that was plaguing him for a couple of years and that mm-hmm. was impacting a bunch of his ability to get work done basically. Um, and, and he, the doctor found it, figured it out. And he now, like in the past, 20, I don't know if it's 60 to 90 days, his productivity has just, skyrocketed. Um so that he's he's gotten more done in, in that time. You know, from what he's told me, he's gotten more done in that time than in a long time. So i def- definitely definitely feel good for him about that.
0: That's amazing. Did he would he talk about what what it was on air or not? No.
1: No. He just said it was, you know, it was a health issue and they figured oh, it out good. finally though. He had to switch doctors. Was, and then it that was like here. it's
0: like that show uh, mystery diagnosis. Have you ever seen that? Uh uh-uh. so they have this show I don't know it's like A and E or A M C What are these cable channels and it comes out at like midnight or something and it's basically they'd have like, you know, two or three different cases on a show and they would spend like 20-30 minutes talking about someone having these weird symptoms and they're getting progressively worse and, and nobody's either believing them or They're misdiagnosing it and nothing's getting better. And the person is like literally dying, you know, and uh, and they just keep going to all kind of different doctors and specialists, And it's like the 30th doctor finally figures it out. Like, oh, you have this weird disease. Did you ever go to Africa? Well, nine years ago, well, you probably got this tick and it put this bacteria in your bloodstream. And that's why you can't see, you know, or whatever. I mean, it was just, you know, so it's like that happens. So there's this amazing number of diseases that are What they call, like, you know, like the long tail of diseases or something. Right, right. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, yeah, we all know about the top, you know, 50 diseases. We've all heard about it. But there's another 10,000 diseases that, you know, half the people in the world have. But nobody has, not more than like 10,000 people or 5,000 people have them. So So they're not classified. No, they're, they're nobody the doctors aren't aware of them and they, they're not very good at diagnosing them and even if they are, there hasn't been a lot of research into figuring out how to treat them, much less any medicines that are effective and uh, so it just really sucks you get one of these diseases and you're kind of screwed you know yeah. sometimes sometimes you're just gonna die and other times you're just gonna like you know kind of have to manage it as best you can. You know, right? I mean, it's just really weird. So, yeah, so we got to put Mike on mystery diagnosis. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. So we can find out exactly what happened to him. That's great. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he knows what happened. It's uh, it's yeah. just that, yeah, he's, you know, not well,
0: so that's, that's what we get to plan. know. Like, we'll get oh, to know if he gets to be a mystery diagnosis, they don't have to share. Her, right. Like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm nosy. Okay. I want to know. <laughs> so, wh- so how's it like you're living up in Fresno? I mean, how is that? are you still loving it or i mean not loving are you still liking it or are you guys gonna move
1: yeah what? you know we when we moved to fresno we moved here about four years ago for my wife's job and mm-hmm. we it was a, it was a shock to us we knew it was going to be uh different than boston where we had lived for the last year and la where we lived before that um mm-hmm. but it was it was a culture shock because there you know the the downtown at the time wasn't just not an urban city. We like, we like kind of living in air walking areas, you know, Pasadena and and that kind of thing is really our vibe. We're urban people Mm -hmm. and Fresno doesn't have much of that, but there's been a pretty big change in the past. It's really been six months. I mean, it's been, it's been creeping up for years, but there's a tech scene forming here. It's really interesting. Um, I now have a small office. I have a 10, like a 10 by 12 office in this tech cluster. And there's like 20, companies or they're all between one person. And there's like, I think one of them is like seven people. That's the biggest. And it's software companies, it's software consultants. There's some product companies, there's mobile developers, there's designers, there's everybody's, we're bringing them together into this one building downtown and it's expanding. There's like a big waiting list to get in now because there's this real thirst to be around other techies. And so that movement's cool. And I'm, I'm part of that. I'm on the board of that. Um, and I, uh, I'm an investor as well, and so that we we put some money together and and wanted to build you know build this community. So that has almost that's been a big reason that I'm like pretty content where we are now.
0: Right. Okay. Because you were talking about moving somewhere, you just yep. never really. what yep. Was it? I remember when you and Cher were visiting, you were talking about we, yeah, moving to San Luis Obispo, like Mar-
1: the coast. Mar- yeah, Mar- that's Mar- right. Yeah. And we right. so we do have a uh, you know an apartment that we so we have a house here in Fresno, and then we have an apartment on the coast. And that's one of the perks of living in Fresno is it's, it's inexpensive to live here. And so we have the money, you know, for what we would pay for our rent in, in Boston or LA, we can get a house here and an apartment <laughs> on the coast. You right. know? So we, right. we were going to the coast to at least two weekends a month, sometimes three. And we go for four day weekends because we have both flexibility, uh, in our schedules and we homeschool our kids. So, you know, he doesn't have to go to school. So we, that also made a difference in Life, quality of life, when you can walk to the beach, you know, several several times a month. Um, yeah, no, it's nice. So.
0: Absolutely. So Fresno, it is.
1: Yeah, I think for the time being. Yeah, I mean, who who knows? I you know, like I said, I don't plan out more than two years, two to five years. But there's no reason to the compelling reason to move right now.
0: No, Sherry was starting up a. a she started up a podcast. Yep, about uh, I don't know what know uh, was it Yerko? yeah or so. Yep. How, and she actually always interviewed. I think it was like the third or fourth person. You were early,
1: yeah yeah, yeah. How did, how, how's that going she it's called parenting reimagined and mm-hmm. it's in iTunes and you know on the web and stuff um yeah she's like 35 episodes in and the most wow. recent one was about our trip to actually taking the family to Europe that's the only one that I appear on both of our kids also also are on there but um it's good I mean it's her thing it's a you know a parenting podcast she interviews parents who had to deal with difficult situations or have a kid who you know has ADHD or a kid who, someone lost a kid, you know, lost their kid, like passed away, and all happiness and sadness and all that stuff, and it's just trying to be figuring out what it's what it means to be a parent and to hear stories. So it's good. Thirty five episodes in, and yeah, still cranking. How big's your audience now? You know, I don't actually know. I know it's really. Um, It's funny, because when she first started, I was like, yeah, you're going to want to be on Twitter, you're going to want to be on these places. Facebook just, and it totally makes sense now that it's happened, but Facebook has been such an impact on her traffic and audience. Um, I know that she has, uh, I don't know, I know she has several hundred listeners. That was the last I heard. I don't know if she's in the thousands or not, um, but definitely, she definitely has folks who listen, you know, on a recurring basis. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, even if you have 500 people, I mean, it's like, when was the last time that, you spoke that 500 people listen to what you're saying. That's you right. Unless you have a podcast. So that's one thing. It's like, I, you know, when I would say talk to people about it, and I'd say, well, you know, we have like maybe a couple thousand people listen to us. I said, it's not CNN. But then again, you know, was the last time you spoke in front of 2,000 people? Totally. So it's, that, that reminds you that it's like, you know, worth, worth doing. Right. Um, you know, but uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, Justin's been picking me. He wants to go, right? Justin, you want to go? Yes, well,
2: now Now, now you make me seem like the bad guy.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just Friday night. I'm sure you're like anxious to, to get ready or whatever. Get out. Go, go, clubbing. go clubbing, go clubbing. <laughs> go clubbing, Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Justin is like
2: yeah. Get his groove on. We, we regularly go clubbing. <laughs> we, we do. Yeah.
0: The vampire. The vamp Did you club. See, he wears these really tight satin oh, pants. I shouldn't oh, see. That, that was, was nice. awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll email you a photo. <laughs> no. So, um. I, I would to ask you real quick about the, the, the microconf in Prague. Was it Prague? Yep, it was. So, well, yeah, well, I haven't heard anything about that. you got to give us a little rundown of two things. One, what was it like running a conference overseas I mean, how to, how to go and all that? But also, I, I, you, you took the, the wife and kids. So, like, yes. you know, give us a little little you know, recap of that.
1: Totally. Um- so to hear, if you want to hear about Microconf, kind of our takeaways from it, that's episode mm-hmm. one, episode one fifty five of Startups to the Rest of Us is is what we took away from it. And our voices are like cracking. We had both been up till three in the morning, and our, it's funny how tired we sound. But uh, the in terms of of running the conference, the conference went well. It sold out. It, it was mostly Europeans, which is what the hope was, right? Is to get a culturally different conference. You know, to get a conference that is actually for that crowd rather than like mm-hmm. an American conference that's trying to go overseas, you know? And right. so 90% of the attendees probably were from Europe and, right. and other areas. So, um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun in Prague and running the conference. There wasn't hard because we had a dude on the ground. We had a conference coordinator who had listened to the podcast for a couple years, emailed us. He runs conferences as a contractor for Google so he emailed us and said, look, I put on these conferences all over Europe and Africa and Asia. I would be happy to do a microconf in Europe. I live in Prague. I can handle the logistics. And then we, you know, we figured out financials. He, he took, uh, you know, a portion of it, obviously. Um, and that was it. So running it wasn't, I had less responsibility for that one than I did for the Vegas one.
0: Wow! Yeah, and what about taking? Well, how many people were there? How big of a big uh, was including
1: it? speakers? There was nine speakers. There were 120 people. So it was a good. So it was that's a, about the same. That's the same size, basically. A little smaller. Yeah, I think we had 165 or 170 at Vegas last year.
2: Jesus! So, I didn't know it was that big. Who were the speakers? Uh, the
1: speakers were uh, myself and Mike and of course I'm flipping over to make sure I get everybody to the website right now, but, um,
2: I'm just wondering was Amy Hoy, uh, cause I know that she used to live in, Korea, yeah, right?
1: uh, she didn't, li- she lived in, um, somewhere else. Crap. Where was it? Oh, it oh, wasn't okay. Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, no, so Amy Hoy was not there, but it was a uh, PELDI. We wanted to get mostly Europeans, frankly, we were trying oh, to get, course, yeah, so yeah. we got Peldy. We got, uh, Andy Bryce from the UK. We got 80 PNR from Wu themes uh, from South Africa. um, And then I actually did ask a couple other Europeans, uh, like this guy, Dan Taylor, was going to speak and then had to back out last minute. So we filled in with other Americans. Um, Let's see, we had Dave Collins, who I guess he's from the UK as well. And then myself and Mike, and then Patrick McKenzie flew in from Japan and Dan and Ian from the Lifestyle Business Podcast, or it's Tropical MBA now. So they live in uh, Vietnam. And then my wife, Sherry, did a talk on... Uh, You you remember her attendee talk at Last MicroConf? It was a short, yeah, Yeah. about uh, kind of the mindset, the emotional and relational aspects of starting a startup. She did a full, like a full-blown 35, 40-minute talk on that topic.
0: Great. Wow. So no. Okay, wh- what about taking the kids overseas like that? That must have been crazy.
1: It you know it was a little crazy. It was it worked out better than I would have thought. The th- I was pretty concerned about the flight, thirteen hours each way with the three year old and the seven year old who are pretty active yeah. boys. We I loaded up the iPads um, with ga- new games they'd never played, Plants vs Zombies two and a bunch of other stuff. I read movies. I did all types of stuff. And then we got on the plane. It was Swiss Air, and they had their everybody had their own TV set in the back of the chair with all ever all the movies were free so kids were watching whatever despicable me too and you know movies that like were just out of the theater weren't on dvd yet i mean really it was quite pleasant the plane rides were actually quite good um for the most part the trip was fun we got apartments everywhere we went instead of doing hotel rooms because i don't know if you've done hotel rooms with kids but it's it sucks like there's We just did
0: that. We just did. It. We went down. We went to San Francisco. I guess we yep. were talking about like next show. And, you know, we got the biggest one we, can, we uh, could. Uh, that was not like, you know, a thousand dollar night room or whatever. And,
1: you know, you have two beds. Yeah, it's still. And no Six space. Beds. And no full kitchen. You know, it it was a
0: nightmare. Yeah. It's a night. Well, of course, first you try, we tried. <laughs> first, we tried. There, there was no pullout bed or cots. you know. So we, yep. we put all three kids into one bed. Man. I got news for you. Three kids in a bed do not fall asleep. That, that is a totally. nightmare. Totally. And so then, so finally, I think what happened, at least the second night, we, we really, it was like three or four nights. And so the second night, Sandy slept with the girls and she put Colby and sat and, and slept in between the girls and put Colby in bed with me. But, of course, his elbow's in the back of my neck. And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the whole time. And then I'm like, this sucks. I'm like, I don't really, this is right. not really my favorite thing, you know. Right. So, yeah, I, next time I'd rather just spend more and, and yeah. Just figure out a better solution.
1: That's what we do. Airbnb is one. And then vrbo.com is vacation rental by com are the two sites that we used, And we got a bunch of almost, we got apartments almost everywhere we went. Um, right, right. made it easy. Cause then you have a full kitchen too. It's expensive to take kids out to eat. It's a pain in the ass to take kids out to eat. Right. Well, and air- then they don't like to eat anything. Right. Yep. It's like, cause they're picky. I don't know. Are your kids picky at all? Picky enough that it's a pain. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that was, that was a good choice. I think that made it easier. Um, we also, now we also brought a friend, like a nanny basically to help. Oh, So good that, coach. yeah, Sherry thought of that and I said, oh, I don't know, can we do it with the expense? But basically we could, <laughs> the conference, you know, made, made a decent amount of money. And so, um, I was able to justify it and, and realize, man, when we were in Rome, like Sherry and I went out to dinner four nights in a row. I mean, just on our Ooh. own. And that was, nice. was totally worth it, you know? So we just, we paid the expense expenses of the nanny, you know, the the plane flight. And then we already had apartments. So it was just food beyond that. But since I did so much cooking anyways, it it wasn't a huge hit. And uh, she loved it because she came and got to see Europe. You know, she was, she's a 26 year old college student, uh, like a uh, master student. And so it worked well right. for everybody. It was cool.
0: Oh, so you didn't have to pay her. You just paid her expenses. That That's correct. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey. Otherwise, yeah. Well, that's 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 really good idea. That helped. Clever yeah. hack. That's like a travel hack.
1: It totally was. Yeah. <laughs> Sherry came up with it to to give all credit. You know, she's she's clever. She planned the whole trip and scheduled everything. And that's a super time consuming, but she made a lot of good decisions that made the trip easier that I wouldn't have particularly thought of. I don't think.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I well, yeah. Sandy is the same with us. She spends a lot of all time. Kind of optimizing logistics, you yep. know. Just like whatever, man. Just tell me a day before, I'll be there. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, she's yeah, she's got everything all squared away. Well, I, I guess we're. I guess I'm. I'm. I've had my fun torturing Justin since he's probably he's been wanting to go for the last half hour. So.
2: <laughs> Well, but, we, we better go because my ba- my battery is about to run and <laughs> run out, and I won't actually the the show won't even be recorded unless I can click stop. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: oh, <laughs> Jess is gonna be like, "Please don't, he's like Jason, please don't say one more thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and one
1: more thing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. so will well, cool. well, we We're we're gonna have to have you on a show where we just go through random topics. Yeah. cool. Yeah. I was
1: like happy to come back there. normal.
0: We don't. Where it's less of an interview and it's more like you know whatever the last <laughs> sure. thirty minutes has been here. We can go over go over just stuff. I think I think that'd be fun.
1: Anytime, man, let me know. I'm free most days, so it'd be fun. Well, we might even let Justin talk too, which that would yeah, Justin did not talk <laughs> very much on this one. Between you and I, it's uh <laughs> tough to get a word in vertical, I think.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, cool, man. Well good. well, best of luck with um, with Drip and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll have you on soon. We'll we'll talk some more.
1: Very cool. It's great great to be on. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. Yeah, so you're welcome.
0: How are we going? All right. I guess that's a wrap. We're out.
2: Can we... I, I think Damn. that there should... Okay, we can't... Let's say... You know how we can't invest in you? Right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna create.
0: We could. We need to create a derivatives market. Like, I was gonna say, could there terms. be
2: an index, like a rob walling index? <laughs> I
1: tried to invest in it, dude.
0: Hey, I everything yeah, I could. I,
1: I wanted to buy money. the rob walling ETF. I raised that. I raised that round of funding. Didn't I tell you guys? 10,000 10, minimum buy-in. You guys never return my emails.
2: <laughs> yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You're kidding <laughs> oh, me, I'm right? Kidding you. Okay. <laughs> <in> crap. Yeah. <laughs> uh.